out in the desert where the stakes are high, two men are ready to bear all. Strip Hockey with Ryan the Hockey Guy and Jesse Granger. Just like we all drew it up, the Golden Knights would drop the first two games of the series to Colorado and then storm back winning four straight to advance to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Who had that on their bingo card? Jesse, did you have that on your bingo card? I certainly did not. Um, I will take credit <laughs> being, I think, one of the only media members that picked Vegas to win this series. Um, I had him in seven, though, and I definitely didn't have him in six after they lost the first two games. <laughs> well, okay, listen, here's here's the thing, right? Like, I remember after game one, and everyone was ready to anoint the Colorado Avalanche. And, and I think that that just had one of those moments where um, you say to yourself... Okay, if everything is coming up Colorado right now, if everyone is on the side of the Colorado Avalanche, certainly something's going to have to break against them, right? Like, certainly it's not going to be a cakewalk for Colorado to get all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And by the way, the Vegas Golden Knights are a really good fucking hockey team. Like, they had 82 points, they won 40 games. Like, at what point do we do we judge an entire playoff series or what we expect is going to happen in the playoffs off of one fucking game? Don't do it anymore. Just don't. Stop doing that. Don't overreact. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I remember at the time, that's like what I think a lot of us were preaching was, calm down, playoff series change. And that's, I've said this a lot in these playoffs. Um the, the reason the Stanley Cup playoffs are so fucking awesome is because they change on a dime. Not just <laughs> a game, a goal. A goal changes an entire series. A series can be looking like it's slanted in one direction as far as it can possibly go. And you, all you have to do is look back to the first round. The Golden Knights went up to Minnesota in a building they had never won in regulation, and they absolutely smoked the Wild off the ice two games in a row in Minnesota to take a commanding 3-1 lead. They're going back to Vegas. That series was over. Everyone thought it was over. The Minnesota thought it was over. Vegas thought it was over. And all it takes is one goal. Minnesota feels good about itself. They quiet T-Mobile a little bit. They get that win. And then suddenly it's like, oh my God, the series is going back to Minnesota. They can force a game seven. And they do. And then it's in game seven. And you're like, they're going to blow it again. Like it went from the series in complete control to, oh my God, they're going to blow it 3-1 lead again, like in a flash. And we saw it again in the second round. Colorado's up 2-0, and it's like, I, I remember saying going into that game three, it's like, these things change so quickly. And did I expect Vegas to win four straight? Obviously not. But I knew that all it takes is one impressive win at T-Mobile, and it's 2-1, and suddenly it's like, well, the home team hasn't lost. Like, these things change quickly, and I that's what makes this these couple months the best. So, for me, what's interesting, like, obviously the Golden Knights played much better on the back half of game number two. And I, I think that that was really important because they were able to stem the tide and play well yes. in Colorado, right? Like that was always going to be in this series. You've got to find a win in Colorado. And for the Golden Knights, they found their legs in the second, in game number two, second period, third period. And in my opinion, 
that should have been the game they won, right? Like it should have come back to Vegas one-to-one. I do look at game five through the lens of Colorado probably deserved that win. Didn't get it. But for the Golden Knights, like the, the key for me in this series was game four, right? Like for Vegas to play as well as they did, in game two and three and, and, and having it be as difficult to find the win as it was for Vegas in game three, and then coming out and and getting a sizable win in game four, that right there to me was the series for Colorado. I felt like they had to go back to Colorado game five, up three to one. And they just got blitzed by the Vegas golden Knights. Yeah. I, and, and I, Think that Minnesota series, like we talked to Kelly McCrimmon this morning and he said he thought the, the Minnesota series helped him. I thought it did too. I remember writing, like after game seven, I remember, and it's like, as crazy as this sounds, I know it, like as a Vegas fan, when that first round ended, like it's very easy to be jealous of Colorado. Um, looking at that, the way they slaughtered St. Louis and looking at them waiting for five days, six days, in between series and they're fully healthy and Vegas is banged up and they're coming off of a hard series with Minnesota and Max Patch ready had to play before he was ready because he just, it was a must win and he goes in and makes the game. And like, it's easy to look at that situation and say, man, I wish we were Colorado. And I remember at the time thinking, yeah, but the golden Knights have been Colorado. Like they've been in that situation so many times. And what has it gotten them? Nothing. They, yeah. they, they run into a team that's already battle-tested. So I, I, I heard this metaphor, and I, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or if I heard it on the radio. I wish I could give this person credit. But someone said, and it wasn't even in reference to this series, but it was just in reference to the playoffs in general. It's like, this war is about to start, and one side, the Avalanche in this case, they're a bunch of soldiers that are jumping off the ship, and their uniforms are perfectly clean. They, they, they haven't experienced the battle yet. They're healthy. They're, they're well-fed. They're healthy. And then you've got the other side that's covered in mud and blood and dirt, and they've been battling. And it's like, which side would you rather be? And I think there's an argument that you'd rather be the side that's already in the war and has already experienced this. And obviously, that's a very dramatic comparison. But in terms of hockey, I think the Golden Knights saw that a team down 3-1, they saw what Minnesota did to them, and they thought, well, if if that team could do it, we're obviously a more talented team than that. We can do the same thing. So I think that Minnesota series and just the way it played out and the the, the type of hockey they had to play and the, the battles they had to, to engage in helped them so much in falling behind 2-0. Because I think Colorado, once things got flipped and Vegas punched back, Colorado didn't know how to react. And it reminded me of Vegas last year against Dallas. They, it was like, oh my God, we're playing a real hockey team that countered us and we don't have an answer. And now suddenly we have to adjust. And Colorado hadn't had to adjust all year because they're so freaking good. They destroyed the entire division. They destroyed St. Louis. And for the first game, they destroyed Vegas. And I think that they thought it was going to be a little easier than it was. And then suddenly they were trying to figure out how to adjust and how to counter. Whereas Vegas had already been in that series against Minnesota. They knew how to adjust. They knew how to counter. They knew that a couple games doesn't mean the series is over. And to me, that that is was the difference is you had two really talented teams that were both very good. And I think Vegas was just a little more ready for the moment. Yeah, I mean, one played playoff hockey and the other played an extension of the regular season in their first round, right? Like, the there's something to be said about 
the path. There's something to be said about not having an easy road in the playoffs, especially early, because last year we talked about it in the bubble up in Edmonton. The Golden Knights had the easiest path to the Stanley Cup final of any team in that bubble. And they didn't get to the Stanley Cup final because they weren't challenged early enough in the playoffs. I think your analogy is spot on. Like you had a Colorado Avalanche team, especially after game one, thinking that they were just going to roll, right? Like they were just, it, it, it wasn't going to ever become difficult. Right. And, and I, I think game five is the moment where I sat back and said, the Avalanche can't play a different way. The Avalanche refuse to do the things that you need to do in the playoffs to win. Because you have a 2 nothing lead going into the third period. You've got to give the Golden Knights all the credit in the world. But where do those two goals to tie the game come from? It comes from Colorado not making the simple fucking play. And pushing still. That that and, goal by Carlson and Marcia so came because their defenseman jumped. It was a three-on-two rush for Colorado. And I forgot the defenseman. It might have been Graves. They jumped into the Graves. to make it a 4-2 rush. It's like you have a 3-2 rush and a 2 nothing lead in the third period. <laughs> Why on earth do you need to make it a 4-2 rush? And he did. And it was a quick turnover. And suddenly it's going the other way. And Carlson and Marcia so made a brilliant play. But that doesn't happen if Colorado's not still pushing up to nothing. They just can't fucking help themselves because they're too good. Because in the regular season, right. they were just able to do it. It, it didn't matter. And and like you, you look at the you look at the play that Yanmark makes, right? Like it's a great play. Yanmark breaks up a, a pass that is and is exiting the zone through the middle of the ice. When the boards are available and all you gotta do is chip it the fuck out. And if you don't have buy-in there, and then you've got your captain, Gabe Landeskog, recognizing that it's a four on two, and you've got two players breaking hard to the far post, and you don't throw it on goal, you don't force Mark. Andre Fleury to make a save in a game where Mark Andre gave up one of the worst goals of his career. That is asking for failure in the playoffs. And yeah. the Golden Knights capitalized to their credit. They capitalized. They were given two opportunities, really three opportunities in that game. And every time it ended up in the back of the net. And it's simply because Colorado never adjusted to what you've got to do in the playoffs to win. Yes, I completely agree. And and kind of to that point of Colorado not wanting to adjust, I think, bec- like you said, because it was so easy for them all year and because they're so incredibly skilled and they have so many skilled players, they don't like dumping the puck because in their mind, it's like, it's like, why on earth would we throw the puck into the corner where it's it's up for grabs when we can just skate it around you and skate it by you and, into, and then attack the net directly? And the Golden Knights... They, they used their one two two four check, and holy crap, did they work it to perfection. You will not find, like, I, I watched all the film back for that story I wrote on Mark Stone trying to pull shifts from him, and, like, the Stone was awesome, but the main thing I noticed is, like, man, they are always in the right spots, always, every single time, and we heard Max Pacioretty say it after one game, the team that sticks to its structure usually wins, and we didn't in game one, and we've stuck to our structure since then, and the goal, and the Avalanche haven't, and to me, that was the difference. The Golden Knights, William Carlson said it after one game, he goes, we've been taking the, I asked him what, the, what their success on that line has been, and he says, yeah. we're, we're taking the simple play. If there's a play to be made in the neutral zone, if there's a, a great pass to be made, we're making it, but if it's not there, we're dumping it in deep, and we're going over there, and we're battling, and we're not turning the puck over, whereas Colorado... They get to the neutral zone. 
the Golden Knights take away that play. The, the Avalanche were taking away the neutral zone plays just as well as the Golden Knights. The difference is Vegas was willing to chip it in the corner and fight for it, whereas Colorado, they just weren't willing to, to dump it. They forced it. They, they, continue, they said, you know what? We're the most skilled team in hockey. We're not doing that. We are going to carry it through the neutral zone, and then they turned the puck over, and Vegas made them pay. So what did you make of post-game Game three, Jared Bednar just shitting all over his team. Like, I listen, there there was a part of me in the moment where I said, this is a coach trying to get the attention of his team because they think it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. This is a coach trying to level with his players. Hey, guys, the regular season doesn't mean shit here. It really doesn't matter what you've done. If you're not bought in and you don't have that compete level night in and night out, you're not going to win in the playoffs. But it was also after their first loss of the playoffs, they'd won six straight, like maybe not the right timing as we look back with, with hindsight, but I don't necessarily disagree with what Bednar was trying to do in that moment. Yeah. To be honest, I, I trust Bednar. Um, I don't know the Avs personalities like near like like I feel like if it was a Golden Knights coach saying that I would have a much better feel for like when or where you should say that kind of thing just because I know the room a lot better. Um, but I will say that like I see both sides of it. Like I see like when like when I was looking at the Bednar quotes and I'm seeing like our top guys aren't showing up. Look at the stats. Their top guys are killing ours. And then I see we're making we're going to make uh, adjustments. I'm like, wow, this team was the best team in the league and they were on their way. Like people were writing, is this team going to go 16 and 0 in the playoffs? And then they, <laughs> and then they lose one game, one game they lose. And it was like, the coach is like changing everything. And in my mind, I'm like, holy crap, what an overreaction. But at the same time, looking back on it, it's like they weren't competing like that. The Golden Knights stars, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson, Jonathan Marshall. So, they outworked Colorado stars. And I think looking back on it, maybe Bednar, that timing was right because if you wait too long, like it's too late now. And, and, and looking back on it, maybe it was already too late. Like the Golden Knights, I don't know if the Avalanche were prepared for this series as well as the, as, as well as the Golden Knights were because I think both teams are equally talented. They're both really good. I think that was the difference. And, and like looking back on it, it's hard to say Bednar was overreactionary considering that loss. They didn't win another game after that. And, and he, what he saw happening is what ended up happening. Their, their stars just couldn't get going. The Golden Knights top line absolutely outplayed theirs without a doubt. And it's amazing. It's like it's an absolutely amazing accomplishment for the Golden Knights. Not just the top line, but the Marcia So Carlson Smith line played against them up in Denver when when Bednar was able to control the matchups. They shut that line down. Like entering this series, McKinnon, I wrote it in the story, I've said it a million times. Only two players in the history of hockey were averaging more points per game in the playoffs in their career than Nathan McKinnon entering the series. And it was fucking Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> and and then Mark Stone shut that guy completely down. Like no like he doesn't exist anymore. Not well he made a bunch of plays and just didn't get on the score sheet. No. Nathan McKinnon ceased to exist. That is amazing. Uh, and still had a point per game. Let's not forget that. Now, listen, I'm with you. Like, three straight games for McKinnon without a point. He he obviously has the big uh, game one and did did factor in for the Colorado Avalanche last night. Like, he he did as good as you could reasonably ask him to to do when you've got a 
in my opinion, the Selkie trophy winner mm-hmm. kind of shadowing you every single time you're on the ice. But the, the bigger issue for me in terms of Colorado is what do they do now? Right? Like this is a team that this year, it felt like Stanley cup or bust. It's again, Colorado losing in the second round. And this to me is not about skill. It's not about it. You know, they, they just don't have the grit or the determination. They just won't buy into playoff hockey. They just will not do it. And, you know, last year there were injuries and you can easily excuse that you're on your third string goalie. Yeah. You're playing without Gabe Landis. Like you can excuse that this one here, especially because in game five and game six, when they, when they started to dig in a little bit and actually play playoff hockey, they were in control of, of some of those games against Vegas late in the, in the series, but they won't commit to it fully. Who is that on? Is that on the players? Or is that on the coach? Or is it on Nazem Kadri for doing the dumbest fucking thing in the world you could possibly do in the first round and take yourself completely out of a series where you needed to have depth? Yeah, and, and especially considering Vegas's biggest like weakness, if you're looking for a weakness in this roster, it's center depth. That's We've said that yeah. from, the, from yeah. training camp. And that was the area where Colorado had the biggest advantage in this series, and Kadri pretty much eliminated that. Um, well done. I agree with you that it's like where do they go? But I but I also think Colorado's young, right? It's not like like the like the Golden Knights core is much much older than mm-hmm. Avalanche core. Like not just Kale McCarr who's a child, but like they're like their <laughs> their core as a whole is very young. Like Kale McCarr is might be the best. Like after watching this series, even as like well as Vegas shut him down, the way he skates, he's going to be the best defenseman in hockey for like the next fifteen years, isn't he? He, I mean, he's already. Yeah. Like he's already better than Victor Hedman, and he's I don't want to hear otherwise. He he's amazing. So I like their their core is super young, and they're and like you can get better without changing the roster, if that makes sense. Like I think this team can learn from this experience. I think, and like we just said it, like Vegas had the easy road and then got punched in the mouth by Dallas, and they lost. And now a year later, here they are with a different path and a different, a slightly different team, but a very similar team and they're playing differently and they've learned. So I think this Colorado team can learn and they're going to be good for the next few years. Like they're in a cap crunch and they've got a lot of young guys who need to be paid. So like there's going to be turnover there. I could see, Mm -hmm. like I was talking to some of the abs writers and like, like Landis I could see them letting him go just because they have so many young guys who they need to sign. So like there are going to be changes, but I think they're going to be really good. And I think that they, this experience can help them. Um, their their windows a little different looking than Vegas's, which is Vegas is like right now. It's they have to win. So for me, like the direct parallel for Colorado is Tampa, right? Like yeah. it's it's Tampa Bay getting swept by Columbus and John Tortorella simply because Tampa wouldn't play differently. Simply because Tampa wanted to beat Columbus seven to nothing every single night in the playoffs. And that's just not something that happens. And then you look at the growth of the Tampa Bay lightning in winning a Stanley cup and in playing the Carolina hurricanes in one of the most boring series. I think I've ever watched. Like we had one game, one period really in that series where it was lit and it went crazy. But for the most part, the Tampa Bay lightning, now do a great job of shutting teams down and scoring just enough to win. 
And so for me, in terms of Colorado, I agree with you. They're going to get better because Kale McCarr is going to be better. Nathan McKinnon is going to be better. Gabe Landeskog is going to be better. You would hope that Nazem Kadri won't make it four times that he takes himself completely out of a playoff series with a dumb suspension. But I don't know. Maybe you can't really count on that if you're Colorado, if you're Joe Sackick. But like until there's that buy-in that the playoffs are just a little bit different than the regular season and you don't have to press for the third goal of the game if you've got a two-goal lead, unless that happens, I'm not sure that Colorado is going to move on beyond where they're at right now. There has to be a deeper buy-in of playoff hockey with the avalanche. There just does. Yeah, I agree. But I but I do think that for the next few years, like that's going to be like the road to the Stanley Cup final in the West is going through yeah. Vegas and Colorado, um, just like it is this year. And and next year, it's going to be back to the normal divisions, um, obviously, with the one change, Arizona's f- flipping over to the central and the Seattle Kraken are in the Pacific. Mm. But but um it, it, so it won't be they won't be division rivals. They won't be battling for the division like they were this year. But I do think that these two teams are going to be playing each other in the playoffs probably again next year. <laughs> I mean, we could all be so lucky because as as much as that series felt like it deserved seven games, my weekend is pretty ecstatic that it happened that it was ended in six. But like, listen, the the reality of the situation is the hockey was fantastic. It the was. Golden Knights pushed a pace that we haven't really seen since year one. And it was a pace that I wasn't sure that they were able to, that they were going to be able to keep up and they did. And that was 100% buy-in and commitment from this Vegas Golden Knights team. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it, it was funny. Cause I went on this Denver show, uh, TV show <laughs> for zooming from my, from my hotel room and they were giving me a hard time. And it's like, it was a funny show. It was hilarious. I liked the guys. And yeah. they were like, they were asking like, should Vegas be allowed to have a hockey team since they can't naturally <laughs> produce ice in, in, and I'm like, yeah, it's snowed in my backyard guys. One time I have pictures to prove it. But one of the, one of the things they asked me was like, is it visual? Like, is it entertaining hockey to watch the golden Knights? Because they, as Avs, like as people that cover the Avs, like they the Avalanche play beautiful hockey, and the Golden Knights aren't quite that like skill level of hockey. Like it's a different level. And I told them it might not be visually entertaining the way the Avs are, but watching a team like the Golden Knights find a scheme that works to shut down a team as good as the Avalanche, and then watching every player, all eighteen skaters, every night, did their exact responsibility they're exact mm-hmm. the exact thing they were supposed to do they were the exact spot their body was on the right side of the puck they their stick was on the right stick like they did everything to perfection and that's what you have to do to shut down a Colorado team like that and I told them like to me that's entertaining like I like watching a team play hockey to perfection and it may not be the stick handling it may not be flying up and down the ice although the Golden Knights did score some pretty awesome goals in transition I I was absolutely blown away by the ability this team had to stick to its when they were down to nothing in the series when they were down to nothing in the game they stuck to their system and they waited for Colorado to fall out of its system and it worked four times in a row. So player of the series like who stood out most to you in terms of Vegas and and I I'm not talking about goalies because I thought Mark Andre Fleury was fantastic we know Mark Andre Fleury is is a huge reason why the Golden Knights moved on. I'm speaking strictly 
position players who stood out most to you, Jesse? Yeah, and and like just to touch on it real quickly, the reason I picked Vegas in this series was the goaltending, and yeah. it was as much about my distrust of Grubauer as it was my my trust in Flurry. And Grubauer did not let me down in these last two games. I didn't think he was very good at all. <laughs> um, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go on, like. How many fucking times can Philip Grubauer stand tall in the crease and a puck just hit him in the chest? Like, he has no fucking clue, no awareness of what's going on around him. He just stands up and the puck hits him. Like, it happened three times last night. He was terrible. Last night, he just looked so uncomfortable. And, like, early in the series, he was great. And especially game two, he single-handedly won it for Colorado. And I was, like, eating my crow. I was like, okay, maybe this guy, maybe I underrated him. And then the next four games proved that I did not. I I think Philip Grubauer is a solid goalie. I think he's somewhere between 12th and 15th in the NHL. That's a solid goalie. He's better than average. He's not a top three goalie in the NHL. I don't care what anybody says. It's it's he's playing behind the best defense in hockey and his stats are phenomenal. He's a solid goalie whose stats are better than he actually is because his team is phenomenal. And I thought that would be the difference. And it was uh, flurry was the difference in comparison to Grubauer in this series, in my opinion. Once we go away from the goalies and we look at the skaters, Mark Stone's the obvious one. I wrote the huge story on him. So I've obviously been focused on that a lot. And I went back and watched it. So I'd say Mark Stone is was the best player on the ice. But Pete DeBoer gave another player, and I have a hard time disagreeing with him. I think Alex Petrangelo was equally impressive, and I don't know if you can make up for an entire season of underperforming with four games, but Alex Petrangelo sure came close to doing that. So, okay, for me, it's Petrangelo because he was so, so good in when the series turned for Vegas, right? Like, you look at the way that he was able to get pucks out of his own zone. You look at the way he was able to extend plays in the offensive zone. I understand that he just scored his first goal of the playoffs yesterday. But when you look at the offense that came from Alex Petrangelo beyond just the goal that he scored, he was absolutely phenomenal in game five, seven shots on goal. You look at the Keegan Colasar goal. That isn't Keegan Colasar scoring a goal. That's Alex Petrangelo using Keegan Colasar to score a goal. Like he was so damn good in this series. And I understand the want and the desire for a player to come in and immediately be amazing. I I get it. I do. When you sign a free agent to that much money, you want him to be a difference maker every single night in the regular season. But the fact of the matter is the Golden Knights were never going to be in a position where they didn't make the playoffs this year. It was always about him trying to find his game, not for 56 games in the regular season, but to win 16 games in the playoffs. And if Alex Petrangelo is able to help this team win eight more playoff games, I don't give a shit about what he did in the regular season. I don't give a shit what he does the next seven years or six years of his contract. It doesn't fucking matter because they've won a Stanley Cup. That is why you bring in Alex Petrangelo. That is why you pay him the money and you saw it on full display in this series. Yeah, no, I agree. And we've been preaching patience with him all year. And like, I like I have, there have been times where I'm like, oh my God, where is this guy that they signed? Like, where is he? But I did not write a scathing, holy crap, this guy is a waste of contract. I didn't write that because it's like, I I know that like they brought him in for the playoffs and all he has to do is perform in the playoffs and all will be forgotten. And to this point, he has. Um, He like Shea Theodore has 
had a very, very bad postseason. Like he has not been himself. I don't know if he's injured. I don't, I don't, I get the question a lot on Twitter. Is he injured? I have no reason to believe he's injured. He doesn't look injured. He hasn't missed any practices. He's out there all like, like for example, Alec Martinez, I don't know what he's, what injury he's dealing with, but it's bad. Mm -hmm. The guy has not touched the ice. I'll repeat, has not touched ice outside of a game since the playoffs started. The guy is dealing with something bad. I don't know what it is, but he's he's dealing with something bad. Shea Theodore, that's not the case. He's skating every day. He looks fine out there. He'll skate even longer on some days. Like he's he's getting extra work, and I have no reason to believe he's hurt. But something's up. He's not playing well. He's and and the way the where I'm going with this is. The Golden Knights need their power play to score goals to win in the playoffs. They needed it to score goals in that Av series, and it did. And the most important key piece to that playoff to that power play is the quarterback at the back end. And Shea Theodore has not been that guy. Alex Petrangelo has been that guy. He he didn't do it all year, but man, was he good in that series. I remember like the one that sticks out to me was the Jonathan Marchessault one timer uh, goal. I think in game five, it was either four or five. Game- Game four and four and yeah. and Petrangelo sends a pass over Marshall. So one times it Grubauer gets over, makes the save. It comes right back to Petrangelo at the point. He makes the same exact pass to Marshall. So, but this time he drops his shoulder like he's going to shoot it. He stares Grubauer in the eyes and then fires a perfect pass onto the tape of Marshall. So without even looking back there and it's the same pass, but this time Grubauer can't get over Marshall. So one's one times it into the empty net. And it's all because of that little subtle fake that Petrangelo gave. And that's to me what this golden Knights power play lacks when they're not scoring is deception. They make the passes around, but it's the obvious pass and the goalie knows what pass you're making. And then you pass it over to the guy and he one times it and the goalie makes a save and we all say, what a save. And it's like, well, yeah, but that goalie knew that pass was coming. Any NHL goalie that knows the pass is coming, they're going to get over there and make most of those saves. You have to deceive them. And when you have more players, it gives you more time to make little deceptive moves like that. And to me, Petrangelo quarterback in that power play when Shea Theodore hasn't been at his best that to me partially saved the season because they needed power play goals and Petrangelo has been that guy back there that they've needed uh, especially as of late yeah you're absolutely right I thought Petrangelo had a hell of a series Alec Martinez it's it's interesting you bring him up because um, for a guy that that wasn't expected to get much power play time when you look at the Golden Knights power play goal scorers this postseason, Alec Martinez is is one of those guys that keeps coming up. He has a spot and he has a hard, accurate shot and, mm-hmm. and he's got a knack for big moments. As you mentioned, I don't need him to practice. I just need him to play. And when he's in the game, whatever they're whatever he's doing is getting him through and he's playing well. Um, I don't think you can say enough about Alec Martinez. And and I know what the thought process was. And I know where a lot of people were when the golden Knights acquired Alec Martinez. I'm going to sit back and say, I fucking told you so the guy's a gamer. He's fantastic. And he's a big reason why the golden Knights are where they are. He's been awesome. I was dead wrong about Alec Martinez. I looked at his numbers over the last couple of years with the Kings and thought his career was over. Like I, like I, I, I thought he was, he used to be a great player and yeah. I thought that those days were over for Alec Martinez. And I thought they overpaid with two second round picks. And I thought that the salary was ridiculous. Four million. Um, turns out two second round picks. Well, money well spent. They could have <laughs> given up more than that based on how he's fit in here. And four million, he might be underpaid. The guy has been 
awesome. I agree with you. His his offensive instincts is like right up there with Theodore and Petrangelo. Like when you get him, you kind of expect him to be more of a like McNabb Holden type of guy. And that's not been him at all. Like his offensive instincts have been spectacular. He makes good passes. He there he has had a couple seam passes in this series that have been excellent. Like you said, he's got that spot on the power play where he just rips one timers and lately he's been hitting them. Um he and and he's blocking six, seven shots a game when who knows how much of his body he can actually feel while the game's going on. Uh, it's not numbed. So the guy is a warrior. He is a huge part of this team. And uh, yeah, I was definitely wrong about the initial um, analysis of that trade when it happened because he's been a perfect fit. And I, like at this point, he's a UFA this year. Like they have to find a way to bring him back, in my opinion. Hashtag suck it, Granger. Yeah. I love it. It's fantastic. Okay, so um, last thing here on Colorado, Veg- uh, Colorado Vegas, because we've got to get into Montreal, uh, because you know you and I know so much about the Montreal Canadiens this year. Um, this is this was an identity series for the Golden Knights, right? Like it was one where they they kind of had to throw back a little bit. They kind of had to accept or or at least internalize a little bit of that underdog narrative. They had to play with a pace that that was really, really breakneck all series long, is it no surprise to you that it's the misfits that really lead the charge in terms of production? No surprise whatsoever. Um, I when they when they had that long stretch in Denver with five days uh, because they had two days off between games one and two, I got uh, the opportunity to talk to Jonathan Marsh. So pretty lengthy conversation. Uh, he just from his hotel room, he called me and it was awesome. We talked about the Winnipeg series. We talked about the the conference final and and like losing game one. And I remember Pierre LeBrun writing the story after that game to throw my buddy Pierre under the bus um, <laughs> that it was over. And I and I always remember that. I'll never forget that because James Neal reminded him in the locker room after every Golden Knights win in that series uh, that he wrote that the series was over because everyone said, "Wow, they finally ran into a team that was too good." And that, like to me, the Colorado series felt like Winnipeg, especially after game one when they got blown out. And Marsha so talked to me about that. Like, he's like, yeah, it feels the same. And we've like, he, he said, like, we've talked about that in the room. Like after game one, they talked about Winnipeg where they won four in a row. And at the time I remember saying to him, like, I know you guys aren't going to win four in a row, but like, can you draw from that? And like, well, maybe they can win four in a row because they did. Um, but yeah, it's like he said, like that they this team embraces the underdog mentality, and every team does, right? Like every coach loves the chance to be the underdog and use that to rally his troops. This isn't unique to the Golden Knights, but I do think this team embraces it better than most. Um, they were uh, the 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 Bane quote: uh, "You you uh, I was born in darkness." This team was born as underdogs like that, like this team was formed as like the golden misfits. Like that was their identity from the day that they were built. This team loves the underdog role. It's going to be interesting now that they are like the biggest favorites in like 30 years in the play in, in, in the semifinal round as (laughs) against Montreal. It's going to be interesting to see how they react to the opposite side of this. They are no longer the underdogs that like, there's no way that they could possibly find a way to even, in their own minds, be the underdogs. Like they're the clear heavy, like they're the biggest favorites you could possibly be. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react to that. But yeah, I think this team embraces that role incredibly well and they use it to their advantage. Okay. So Vegas, Montreal, um, not for the Stanley cup because that's 2021 and COVID. Um, Let's take a look at the Montreal Canadiens. This is how they line up. Top line, I guess, Arturi Lekkinen, Philip Deneau, 
Brendan Gallagher. And Philip Deneau, we know he likes pizza, especially after series wins. Fantastic. But great shutdown center, right? Like he yep. is a as every bit the the unheralded, does all the dirty work. You put him out there to take a guy out of the series. That is what Philip Deneau does. Brendan Gallagher, a pain in the fucking ass to play against. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting contrast, and I was talking about this off the air before we started recording, but man, you go from a Colorado Avalanche top line that is absolutely terrifying, and like the Golden Knights said they were terrifying before the series, they like... Uh, Peter DeBoer was asked how come their star players can score when no one else's star players can and he's like well there's seven of them so like <laughs> like you go from a from a and like every time we talk to the Golden Knights we talk to them every day and every day it seems like at least someone mentions that top line like you have to be aware when they're on the ice because if you're not you're going to get burned you go from that to a good top line in Montreal but n- not scary right like they're not they, they, they can frustrate you. They will defend you well. They will give you problems doing what you want to do, but they aren't the, the threat, the constant threat to absolutely break the game open. You go from Nathan McKinnon as the number one center who may be the most dynamic player on the planet to mm-hmm. Philip Deneau who had five goals this season. Five. Just for comparison, William Carrier had six goals this season. Their number one center for the Montreal Canadiens had five goals. So... <laughs> It's a slight <laughs> change going from Nathan McKinnon to a guy who scored less goals than William Carrier this season. Now, with Montreal, it is the sum of their parts, right? So yes. we, we talk about that top line. That top line, it's going to chip in offensively here and there, but their prime objective is not to score. It's to be hard to play against. It's to shut down opposition top lines and to get on the positive side because of their defense. Then you go to the second line for the Montreal Canadiens, Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. This is where you're going to get the lion's share of your production from the Montreal Canadiens. This is the line that you've got to shut down if you're the Vegas Golden Knights. Tyler Toffoli's been phenomenal phenomenal as a Montreal Canadian. Nick Suzuki has blossomed into an opportunity in Montreal and Cole Caulfield is incredibly electric and he makes really quick, smart plays, especially in the offensive zone. That's the line that should remind you a little bit of whatever line Kirill Kaprizov was on in the Minnesota series. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is the scoring line for them. And to me, it's going to be fascinating to see how these top two lines match up with the Golden Knights top two lines. I would imagine that Montreal is hoping to put Deneau and Gallagher and Lakenin out there against the Golden Knights top line. And Deneau is your job is to shut Mark Stone down just the way Mark Stone's job was to shut Nathan McKinnon down. It's the same thing. That leaves you with the matchup of the Misfit line, which is playing about as good of hockey as it can possibly play right now. And you're playing against a very talented, but a very young, inexperienced line with Suzuki and Caulfield. They're both kids. And Toffoli is obviously a veteran, and he's had a lot of playoff games, and he scored big goals for him. So he he brings some veteran presence to that line. But I think the Golden Knights, I I think this works out well for them. Like, if you tell Mm -hmm. me that... That Deneau, Gallagher, and Lincoln, they're going to try to shut down the Golden Knights' top line. And, like, I think that they can, they can have some success, but the gold, Pacioretty and Stone are going to get theirs. And then you tell me it comes down to Carlson, Smith, and Marcia so versus this young, talented line with Suzuki and Caulfield. I think the pressure that Marcia so and Carlson and Smith can apply on the forecheck 
I think they can pressure that line into making a lot of mistakes, and there may not be a line in hockey that's better at jumping on mistakes and scoring in transition than the Golden Knights' second line. So I pers- personally, just looking at the way these teams are going to match up and who's going to be on the ice with who, I think it looks good for the Golden Knights. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that in just a second. So third line for Montreal, Paul Byron, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson, good, heavy player. Jesperi Kakaniemi has the ability to be dynamic in the offensive zone. If I'm Dom Ducharme, I try to get my second line out against the Tuck Yanmark wall line. So I the matchup I'm chasing is to Foley Suzuki Caulfield versus Tuck Yanmark and Wa. And I look at Byron, Jesperi Kakaniemi, and Josh Anderson in much the same way I look at their top line with Lekkonen, Dano, Gallagher, Byron. Kakaniemi, Anderson, shut down the Misfits. Yeah, that's probably what they'll try in Montreal. I agree. Um, just because it, again, they, the, the Canadians don't score a lot of goals, right? They're not a high-scoring team. The, yeah. the, they need a couple. That's like every every game. It's like, they're, <laughs> like their, their, their mentality is, Carey Price is going to bail us out, and we need a couple. And if you're trying to find goals, the way you're going to get them is out of that Toffoli-Suzuki-Caulfield line, and the way to do that is to get them against, like, the Golden Knights bottom too, because you mentioned Minnesota as a comparison for Montreal. And like, I'm, we're going to get to the fourth line here in a second, but where Montreal can outplay Vegas is the bottom six. Um, and yeah. Vegas, Vegas's third line has been spectacular, especially when Yanmark's healthy. So it's not a given that Montreal's bottom six will outplay Vegas bottom six, but they have, they have more offense, I think, and they have more, a little more like dangerous players on their bottom six than Vegas does other than Alex Tuck, who's obviously a top six player who's playing on the third line. So fourth line for the Montreal Canadiens and maybe the line that I think has surprised people the most this year, just because of how much they've produced in the playoffs. Yoel Armia, Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, like Stahl's a great player. Corey Perry is built for the playoffs and is such a pain in the ass, and they've been good. So for the Golden Knights, in terms of the fourth line, and, and as we mentioned, we spoke with Kelly McCrimmon earlier today, it looks like Tomas Nosek is getting closer. Um, I'd love to live in a world where Tomas Nosek is able to get back into the lineup on the fourth line for the Golden Knights, and I think Carrier, Nosek, and you can give me Patrick Brown, Keegan Colasar, Ryan Reeves, that's that's probably the order I'd go in if I'm the Golden Knights. You're going to need a fourth line that at times is going to be able to hold their own with Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, and Yoel Armia. Yeah, I completely agree. To me, if you're going one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, the the issue, if you're looking for where the issue could be for the Golden Knights, it's the fourth line. Because like you said, Corey Perry, he's not the superstar he used to be, but he is still a really good player, and especially in a fourth line role. And Eric Stahl, another guy who may not be what he used to be, but in a fourth line role, playing against guys like Carrier and Reeves and Colasar and guys that aren't top of the lineup players, he can absolutely make plays. So if like the Golden Knights are favored in this series, they should absolutely win this series. We're going to be talking about this series in a way of like what could go wrong for this team, um, because something's going to have to go wrong in order for them to lose a series. And to me, the way things like looking at the lineups, the way things can go wrong is Montreal finds a way to shut down your top lines to, to break even with your top lines. And then they let their depth score against you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like depth is going to be kind of the, the code word in this series in much the same way it was with Minnesota. Like I look at the Montreal Canadiens, I look at them in the same way that I look at the, the Minnesota Wild. And you can see it in terms of how they construct their lines. You could load up with a, with, with a top six, bottom six type formula if you are the Montreal Canadiens. There are enough key pieces, there are enough players, not, not high-end, not elite-elite, but you could have a distinct top six, bottom six. But what Montreal has done in terms of their, their forward group is create balance. And in the playoffs, if you're able to get mismatches and you're able to produce in terms of those mismatches, then it can turn the series in your favor. So for the Golden Knights... They're going to have to find a way to make sure difference makers on every line do not turn the tide for the for the Montreal Canadiens in this series. Yep, completely agree. Yeah, their their lineup is spread pretty evenly amongst the four lines. Very Minnesota y. Yeah. So top pair defense, Ben Sherratt, Shea Weber, Brett Kulak, Joel Edmondson. That's the the top four. Um Alexander Romanov's been in and out. Eric Gustafson's been in and out. Jesus, Eric Gustafson is a terrible defenseman. Great, great offensive instincts. Terrible, terrible fucking defenseman. He makes some bad mistakes. Um, some, some like especially, <laughs> like especially like the plays, the plays that end up on the opposite end of the highlight reel. It's like it's almost yeah. always him. Um, I, I now that we're talking <laughs> about the defense, though, I think that is the strength of this Minnesota team. I mean, sorry, Minnesota. I'm calling it. <laughs> Of this Montreal team, <laughs> much like Minnesota, and Kelly McCrimmon brought it up this morning. He's like, yeah, just like Minnesota, that the top four defensemen with Weber, Sherratt, Kulak, and Edmondson are big, heavy guys that defend really well and can contribute on the offensive end. And and it should be noted that Jeff Petrie would be in this position in one of the one of the four positions for the Montreal Canadiens, but he is dealing with an injury. I it looks like from what I saw today, he's not likely to play in game one. But if Montreal ends up getting Jeff Petrie back, then you insert another fantastic defenseman with really good offensive instincts into the series. Yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd be their second best defenseman after Shea Weber. And like you could argue he's as good as Shea Weber. Like the, he, Petrie is, is awesome. I would put Petrie ahead of Shea Weber, but that's just simply because I, I love what Petrie brings to the table in terms of his offense. Shea Weber shoots like a brick shit house. Like yeah. that puck comes off the stick and it hurts. So it'll be an interesting one to see how many Shea Weber shots Alec Martinez is willing to get in front of. My guess is all of them. Yeah. Psychopath. Complete psychopath. All right. and, and then the goaltending matchup um, is Carey Price Ooh. and Marc-Andre Fleury. Hey, Jesse, how excited are you? Oh my God. I can't even put it into words how excited I am. I get to cover... I, I tweeted it last night, but like, yeah. how freaking spoiled am I that I get to cover the regular season where I, I don't want to hear the arguments. Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury are the best one-two goalie rotation in the history of the NHL. They, they, like, ne- never has there been a team with two top 10 goalies and they rotate them like that. It's never happened. And I got to cover that and they win the Jennings. They allow the fewest goals of any goalies in the entire NHL. I get to cover that. Then I get a series with two Vezina finalists, Flurry versus Grubauer for six games. 
And now it's Carey Price. It's the two best French-Canadian goalies in the world, and they're playing in the semifinals in a series that's going back and forth from Montreal. It's going to be so much fun. The pressure on these two goalies is awesome, and they're both going to rise to the occasion. I cannot wait to watch Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury battle it out. It's going to be spectacular. So I guess we know a little bit more about Montreal than we let on, right? Yeah, I mean, I... like. We like I, we were talking about it before. I feel so unprepared going into this series, and I'm sure the Golden Knights players feel similarly because those first two series, I had to do no prep. Like I knew Minnesota because they'd played them a billion times. I knew every player on Minnesota. I knew how they play against Vegas. I know what the games are going to look like. Colorado, we knew what these games were going to look like. Like game one was an anomaly, but since then, like after that, the games looked just like we expected them to. I mean, Vegas was a little better than maybe we expected, but similar. Whereas with this one. We know the players on Montreal. I've I've watched a lot of Canadian games this year. You know me. I like Carey Price, so I watch a lot of Montreal games. Also, yeah. um, worth noting, I get to see a lot of Montreal games because uh, the hockey rink I play at, the owner of the hockey rink is from Montreal, and he is the biggest <laughs> Canadians fan on the planet. He's obsessed with it. I was texting him all night after the game last night. He is like, he's like, I'm going to sound like 18,000 Habs fans when I go to T-Mobile Arena. He's so pumped. But because <laughs> because of that, because the rink owner is a Montreal fan, the TV in the front lobby is always on the Canadians game every day. So when I'm sitting there in between games waiting for my next game to play, I'm just sitting there watching Canadians games. So I do watch a lot of Montreal games, but who the hell knows what they'll look like when they play the Golden Knights because they've been playing roller hockey all year. They don't play defense in Canada. It doesn't happen. There's no such thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how that team reacts, how that team plays. It could be that Montreal is built to counter the Golden Knights because I do think that they're a team that likes to sit back, kind of like Minnesota, and counter you when you make mistakes. And I think that's what they're going to try to hope for in this series is pack the pack the slot, don't let the Golden Knights into the dangerous areas, keep the shots to the outside, and when they make a mistake, we're going to capitalize on it. That's To me, that's Montreal's path to victory. I think that's the way they're going to go about it, but we don't know what it's going to look like because these teams haven't played each other, or or they have no common opponents. They, like, they haven't played anything r- remotely similar to each other. The playoffs, the, 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 the run that the Golden Knights are on right now, the trajectory of, of their playoff structure is essentially the ghosts of playoffs past, right? Like you've got a Minnesota team that you can't beat in the regular season. And no one thinks that you're, you're able to find that matchup because they're really good defensively and you can't score in front of the net. You can't score enough goals. Then you've got to play Colorado after a grueling seven game series because you couldn't close a three, one series lead. And then what do the golden Knights do? They fall behind two games to none storm all the way back and eliminate Colorado with their first opportunity to do so learning from the first round. This to me is going to be somewhat reminiscent of Vancouver. And it's not to suggest that I think Montreal is, is so much worse than the Vegas golden Knights, but on paper, there is a talent discrepancy and you cannot, you cannot put that away. You cannot cast that aside, but how much have the Golden Knights improved from Vancouver and Dallas last year? How much have they improved in facing a team that they know is going to just try to take away the middle of the ice? And how much have they improved at finishing when it matters the most? Because again, 
this is the hero's journey for the Golden Knights. This is going into your past and dealing with all the shit that's knocked you out before. And if you can succeed, if you can triumph, then I just can't wait to see what this team's able to do should they get to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And it's like, I think, Mon- like, I'll flat out say it. Montreal's not that good. They're, they had the 18th. Best, <laughs> they had the 18th best record in hockey. The Golden Knights are going from playing the first best team in hockey to the 18th best team in hockey. They the Montreal got a road where they played Toronto, who will choke no matter who their opponent is. You could have put oh, a, a God. junior hockey team in there. The Can- the the Maple Leafs will find a way to choke. So the Canadians won the first round by default. Then the second round, they get a team in Winnipeg that's good. Solid. They're a solid hockey team. And then one of their best players acts like an idiot in game one. And it just happens Mm -hmm. to be the player that makes that line run. And once he was out, that line couldn't do anything. And Winnipeg doesn't have good defense defense. Their defenders are terrible. So when the when the forwards aren't clicking and and the defenders are AHL quality, it's up to Connor Hellebuck to save them. And he couldn't. So while the Canadians deserve credit for getting here, I think their path has been incredibly easy. And I think this team doesn't like they, this team should not be able to beat the Golden Knights. However, having said that, the Golden Knights have shown a weakness against teams that play this style. You brought up Vancouver. We brought up Minnesota. Dallas played a similar style. And those three teams executed it pretty damn well with Thatcher Demko, Anton Kudobin and Cam Talbot playing goal. <laughs> those, those are those are three NHL goalies. That's about as far as I'll go. There are three NHL goalies. They play in the NHL. They play the goalie position. They're not Carey Price. And if those three teams can give you the Golden Knights as many issues as they did with that specific strategy without a goalie half as good as Carey Price, it does make me a little nervous that despite... I, I think the Golden Knights are leaps and bounds better than the Montreal Canadiens. I don't even think it's close. But... I do think there's a chance this series is a battle because of the strategy and because of that guy in the back, backing the Canadians up. Carey Price is amazing. Okay, so who would win in a playoff series, Edmonton or Toronto? That's a great question. We have to see that to find out. It's like the the un the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. Uh, who can choke? It, they'll just like one team will go up three nothing, and then they'll choke that away, and then it'll go to game seven, and then whoever's up three nothing in game seven will choke that away. Uh, I don't know. They'll find a way to both choke it away until one of them eventually comes out on top. Um, it's amazing they, how much talent you can have and do absolutely nothing with it. They might still be playing a game seven right now if they would have met in the first round. It's the very stoppable force and the very movable object. Yeah, and neither one <laughs> wants to take. The space yeah, available. It, okay. All right. So uh, real quick before we wrap this up, because I think we, we've talked about as much as we can about Montreal. Um, I will be doing some viewing. Uh, wish me luck of Montreal Canadians and, and Winnipeg because, you know, preparation and all that jazz. Um, all right. So a couple of questions here. This is our buddy Brian at Puck and Bad Jokes. Do you guys feel cheated that Vegas is playing a playoff series in Montreal and you can't get to visit to see how crazy the crowd is in Bell Center? Not that Vegas doesn't have incredible crowds. Just want to put that caveat on there in there. Brad did or Brian did. Jesus, he's going to kill me for that one. Um, uh, Yes, to a degree, but I wouldn't get to travel anyway. Like I I feel cheated. Yeah, well, and you'll be the better one to ask here. Like, 
because of my radio duties and because there are options to have viewing parties, all that jazz, I don't get to travel regardless. So I don't necessarily feel cheated, though it would be a bucket list item for me to see a playoff game in Montreal. Yeah, I feel cheated. I got to go to Montreal last season um, and just for a regular season game. And that arena is incredible. The The, the city is very cool. Um, you don't feel like you're in North America. You feel like you're in Europe. It's a very unique city. So just the city itself is awesome. Um, yeah, it sucks that we don't get to, to go to Montreal and see that and see like to me, one of the interesting facets of this series, it's its oldest. It's it's hockey's oldest team versus hockey's youngest team. And it's probably the two best atmospheres in hockey when both arenas are full. So we are going to miss the, the back and forth. Like I can imagine if it was full in Montreal, it would be a Vegas is going to be absolutely nuts for games one and two. It always is. It's that Mm -hmm. building was unbelievable in that Colorado series. Like we can't say enough how awesome the fans were in those like games in T-Mobile arena. It's the loudest I've ever heard it. And maybe it's been so long since the cup run that it's hard for my ears to compare, but I feel like it was louder this time. Um, And then I feel like if it was a full building in Montreal, those fans are going to watch this young fan base and they're going to say they can't outdo us. Like we are hockey. Mm-hmm. We have to be louder than them. And then they would. And then it would come back to Vegas and they like that. It would be awesome. And and yes, I feel like we are a little cheated of that. All right, Stephanie, who do you think we might see in a game off the taxi squad? Also, will we see more of Holden or Haig next round um, off the taxi squad? Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess that depends on if Tomasz Nosek is is currently a taxi squad member, right? Like he's nursing an injury. Do you consider that taxi squad? Um, I, I'll say Peyton Krebs just simply because when we talked to Kelly McCrimmon earlier today, he had mentioned Peyton Krebs is a full participant in taxi squad um, practices. So I'll go with Peyton Krebs, though I don't think it's terribly likely in this series. Yeah, I don't know if we see Krebs. I we. Kelly McCrimmon did mention we've seen him skating a couple times like their skate the taxi squad skates on the other rink that we're not allowed to 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 be over at but uh he we see him skating across the main rink to get to the locker room afterwards um he's wearing the the fish bubble on his face um, so <laughs> it's not like he's like 100% ready to go like he and 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 considering he has like he's so green and has never played yeah. the playoffs. Like I, I don't know if I'd throw a guy with a with a fish bubble mask on into his first playoff game ever in the conference finals. Even though I mean, whatever. I'm going to call this the conference finals. They're handing out the trophies once they <laughs> once they announce that they're handing out the trophies. I'm like, okay, it's the conference finals. Um, sure, sure. So I wouldn't put Krebs in that. Um, and then it's in term like I don't know who they're like. I wouldn't say anyone unless you're counting Patrick Brown, who's played a lot of games. Well, like I think he plays. That's the thing with Tomas Nosek. Like, is he taxi squad or is he just right. an injured player off the regular roster? Like, I, I don't know that you want to be in a, in a position where you've got to dig deep into your taxi squad. Uh, also, in terms of Holden and Haig, Holden's just been too good. Like, I'm sorry. He's producing. He's been fantastic. I think you roll Holden until you, he gives you a reason not to. I want to say that, but I also, because I agree. I think Holden's been better. I think you play him. But at the same time, I'm sick of questioning Pete DeBoer's shuffling and looking and being wrong because Pete DeBoer knows what the fuck he's doing. Like, let's just like, we haven't said, we haven't given Pete DeBoer any credit on this. He deserves a ton of credit. He, when he was hired, I asked him, what was your pitch to the Golden Knights to get this job? And he said, I told them I pushed the right buttons at that time of year. And holy shit, does he push those buttons at the right time? Every roster decision he's made, maybe Leonard game one, we can question. Maybe. Aside from that one, <laughs> aside from the, because Leonard wasn't good, and but 
Do- Prime Dominic Hasek probably doesn't win the Golden Knights that game. So even that, it's like, I'll give him a pass. But in terms of the skaters, he has taken Reeves out. It worked brilliantly. He's put Reeves back in. It worked brilliantly. He's he's keeping Haig fresh. I like the idea that he keeps saying that like when we take Haig out and we give him a couple days off, he is a different player when he comes back in. He's got more jump. Um, he's a young kid who's kind of been worn down from this season. And when we give him some time off, he comes back differently. So like, while I agree with you, I think I would probably roll with Holden until he proves otherwise. If if Pete decides to take Holden out for a game and put Hague in there, I'm not questioning it. I have no issues because he knows what he's doing and he knows these players and he knows their status. He knows how they're feeling and every button he's pushed in terms of shuffling that bottom six and, and taking guys in and out and, and the, the bottom defensive pair, um, I think he knows what he's doing. So I think you'll see them both. I think Hague and Holden will both play. I think Pete DeBoer will make the right choice. Okay, this one's going to be a selfish one. This is from Amanda Wallace. Um, I think the children, my kids, should get to make a cameo on the podcast. So, Scott, what do you want to say? Hi. Um, yes, it's me. <laughs> and Charlotte, what do you want to say? Go Knights, go. All right, thanks, guys. I love you. Love you, Dad. <laughs> All right, so that was fun. Um, the children, a part of the podcast every day and always from VGK Dean HSK uh, with an X because the Golden Knights are in the playoffs is Jesse going full on fanboy over Carey Price I don't think so I mean I, I love goalies <laughs> I love all goalies and Carey Price is one of the best goalies yeah I'm a fanboy I guess whatever you want to say I like I like good hockey <laughs> we got to say we got to see a series that was amazing hockey and it was so entertaining for everyone involved. And now we're going to get to see the two best French-Canadian goalies play a series in French in, in Quebec. It's going to be awesome. Okay, Daniel Reynolds. Since Fleury and Price have similar goalie styles, who do you predict to have the best highlight save in this next series, assuming Fleury plays? He will. Fleury or Price? There is no doubt that they will both be fun to watch regardless. So, when Carey Price is at the height of his powers, when he is playing his game, he makes it look easy, right? Like, yes. positionally sound, there aren't many... I mean, Carey Price is capable, and he has had some highlight reel saves, but not with the um, regularity that Marc-Andre Fleury does. Not with the flair that right. Marc-Andre Fleury does. Flair so if, right I'm, if I'm guessing... It'll be Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, if Carey Price is having to make highlight reel saves, then he's not playing as well as you'd like him to play. Yeah, yeah. I, t- not to super disagree, but yeah, I don't think their styles are, are super similar. I mean, more similar than like Fleury and Leonard, for example. But Sure. But Carey Price, part of the reason I like Carey Price so much, and, part, and like, so if you talk to goalies, like beer league goalies, Carey Price is almost every goalie's favorite goalie. And the reason for that is because he's so perfect from a technique and fundamental standpoint. Every move he makes, every move his skate blades make, every positioning of his glove, everything is exactly the way you're taught to do it. And Marc-Andre Fleury is not that at all. He does things that I'm sure his goalie coaches growing up were like, what on earth? earth if you ever do that again you're not playing but he gets away with it because he's ridiculously acrobatic he's ridiculously athletic and his reaction times are insane so they're different 
Carey Price is always in the right spot. Flurry isn't always in the right spot. He gives up rebounds that he shouldn't sometimes, and then he bails himself out with a ridiculous save after. That's just Mark Andre Flurry. It's he's a Hall of Famer for playing the game that way. You don't want to change him. Let him be that guy. Um, so yeah, I, if if you had to bet on who's going to have the more spectacular save, I'd bet Flurry, and I'd bet Flurry against pretty much any goalie in the league, spe- specifically because like even Vasilevsky, like Vasilevsky, mm-hmm. you could argue is better than Flurry, but. He doesn't make those same types of saves with the regularity that Flurry does just because of the style. Um, all right, two more questions, then we're out of here. From Jared Justice, pancakes or waffles? Oh, pancakes. I think pancakes are better. Uh, I'm, I'm a waffle guy simply because it's a, a vehicle to house more syrup, right? Like you've got little syrup pockets inside of your waffle. It's just a beautiful thing. That's true, but I don't know. There's something about the softness of pan. I feel like waffles can be crunchy and like I don't know the inside of my mouth. I don't know. Pancakes. Someone's got to make you better waffles. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I've been eating bad waffles. I did go to uh, <laughs> what's the place in California? The real famous one. It was amazing. I had chicken and waffles. R- Roscoe's. Yes, yes. I had chicken and waffles there. Uh, one of the trips to California. Fantastic. You you don't go anywhere else. That's all I'm telling you. Like, if you want chicken and waffles, do not go anywhere else. Take that from somebody that grew up um, in Southern California. All right, last one. And this is kind of a natural one for us to end the podcast on. Who is your favorite for each series and the Conn Smythe Trophy? What would you define as the team's weakness at this point in the playoffs for the Golden Knights? Um, In terms of weaknesses... Uh, with the Golden Knights, I think it's always going to be production from your bottom six, right? Like that's kind of always uh, going to be the thing that we come back to. Do the Golden Knights have enough depth scoring to win in the playoffs? Because it's not always going to be able to be Mark Stone. It's not always going to be Marcia So Carlson and Smith or Pacioretty. You're going to have to get contributions from your bottom six. And you know what? You saw the Golden Knights end a series yesterday because they were able to get that through two rounds. It's proven to show up at times. But you're going to need that to continue. It cannot dry up. That would be, uh, for me, the the biggest weakness beyond the power play for the Golden Knights. Power play has to get going. They've got to find ways to produce in those key situations. Um, I'm going to let you answer that one, and then we're going to get to picking the conference finals and who we think will play in the Stanley Cup final. Cool. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, but because the bottom six is playing so well right now, um, I'm going to say that's not the biggest weakness. I think right now the weakest spot on this team in terms of expectations and what is being displayed on the ice is Shea Theodore. And to me, if Shea Theodore... Like, we just saw Alex Petrangelo kind of reach his potential in that series and show us yeah. the type of player he can be. To me... If Shea Theodore has that moment where he he becomes the Shea Theodore we know he can be, while Alex Petrangelo is still playing that way, the Golden Knights are winning the Stanley Cup. Period. I don't care. Like I and like I picked Tampa Bay at the beginning of the playoffs. I think Tampa Bay is the best team. If Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo are both going at the rate they can go at, the Golden Knights will win the Stanley Cup. Right now, that's not happening. Alex Petrangelo has shown up. Shea Theodore has not yet. I believe Shea Theodore has the ability to show up. And if he does, this team is going to be unstoppable. So I will say the biggest weakness right now is they're not getting... Shea Theodore was like the sixth highest defense scoring defenseman in the NHL this year. He was fifth on the entire Golden Knights in goals. Or sorry, in points. He hasn't... He's been invisible in these playoffs. So to me, the biggest weakness is they're not getting elite play out of one of their two elite defensemen. Yeah, that's a fair point, 100%. Um, so in terms of the the predictions, 
Um, all right. I'm predicting Vegas. I'm predicting Vegas in six because I have too much respect for what the Montreal Canadiens have done to this point. I, I don't think it would be the wisest decision for me to say Vegas in five, though I think they can do it. Um, but I, I'm going to go Vegas in six over Montreal. And then the Islanders and the Lightning. I I can't fucking believe that I'm doing this. I really can't. Um, but I want to see the Islanders defeat the Lightning. I want to see Matt Barzell go off. I want to see Barry Trotz coach the shit out of the series. And I don't want to see the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. I just don't. And it like... And it doesn't really have anything to do with like the salary cap shit. It doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that they've got Nikita Kucherov healthy for the playoff run. Like I just, there's something about Tampa this season that makes them unlikable. And I just don't, I just don't want to see them in the final. Yeah. If you were traveling for the cup final, I think you'd have a different opinion on Tampa Bay versus Long Island. Um, See, I, I've already explained that I don't, so I don't have any fucking, like, I don't yeah. fucking care about you. Like, I definitely would you, prefer Tampa in the final. <laughs> you, you, you go to, to Nassau, buddy. You have fucking fun with that. Like that crowd is so on fire. It like, is. I, I, like, I, I want to see that in the final. Come on. Yeah, I, I picked Vegas versus Tampa in the cup final when the playoffs started, and I'm sticking with it. Um, I think, All right. I think I'll, I'll take Vegas in five. I know the Canadians will come after me. That's okay. I'm welcoming <laughs> that. I already started it a little bit in the last series, like saying like it's pretty insane that 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 series is the same round as Vegas, Colorado, and they all like want me to die for that. So I'm, I'm just going to lean into that. <laughs> I think Vegas is considerably better. I think Carey Price is going to be amazing to get it to five games. Um, and that's fair. As for the other series, I'll take Tampa in six because I think the Islanders are really good. I think they have the best coach in hockey. Um, I think they will find ways to make it difficult on Tampa, but I still think overall Tampa Bay has the deepest and best team in hockey. Um, so I'm going to take Tampa and Vegas. And man, if we get a Tampa Vegas final, we we just salivated over how great of hockey the entertainment factor and just the quality of hockey was in this Colorado Vegas series. If we were to get Tampa Vegas, that would be unbelievable hockey. Yeah, I agree with you 100. Um, I just don't want to see it for whatever reason. I, I get. Maybe maybe it's like Matt Barzell. Maybe it's the power of Kyle Palmieri's beard. Like I don't know. It's <laughs> honestly, it's it's the fact that the fans at Nassau have been so fucking on fire. Like they've been great. Um. So real quick, Con Smythe um finalists or Con Smythe favorites from each team left in the playoffs. Um, I know it probably won't be anyone but Carey Price for the Montreal Canadiens, but I think Nick Suzuki or and I can't fucking believe I'm going to say this Corey Perry like those two <laughs> players are probably leading my ballot if I had a choice um, for Vegas it's Alex Petrangelo and it's Mark Stone like I'm sorry I know the numbers aren't necessarily there but they've been so good um, Mark Andre Fleury obviously kind of goes without saying for the Vegas Golden Knights as well um, for Tampa it's Nikita Kucherov and their capologist <laughs> yeah and then for the New York Islanders, it's Barry Trotz and it's Matt Barzell. Prove me otherwise. 
Yeah, um, a, a lot of agreement here. I would say I don't think like Petrangelo was really good in those last three games, last four games against Colorado. But I would still put Flurry and Stone um, above him in terms of Consmite. I think Flurry should be the leader right now. He's been the best player on this team all year. Um, and then Barzal is the easy choice for the Islanders. He's spectacular. He is their offense. Um, and then. I mean, the goal, like, I know I'm, like, really leaning into my brand here, but I feel like Carey Price, Flurry, and Vasilevsky should all be um, considered. I mean, Vasilevsky, I guess, hasn't been great in these playoffs. Um, probably Kucherov. And, like, how ridiculous is it that Kucherov is playing this good after not playing a whole season? Like, we, we talk about, like, like when players... Can, hold, on, like, hold on, hold on, hold, hold on. You want to know why he's probably been this good? Because he was probably able to come back i don't know with seven or eight games left in the regular season probably longer than that we're right and that's the part that's pissing off a lot of fucking people yeah but i don't care it's be mad at the (laughs) nhl be mad at the nhl's rules not tampa bay for like and 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 if by the way if any fan base should shut the fuck up about tampa bay's cap gymnastics it's golden knights fans (laughs) because you literally have george mcphee who invented this shit like george mcphee invented circumventing the cap he's the best at it tampa bay is just doing what they learned from george mcphee so like the golden knights literally played games with with like a beer league roster like you know sometimes not everybody on the team shows up so you can only play two lines that night and guys have to play iron man hockey that's the golden knights because their cap situation was so screwy so yeah maybe the islanders fans can complain about tampa's cap circumvention but golden knights fans there's no room there because the golden knights are the kings of it so um, yeah, I mean, but like, I agree he was healthy, but he didn't play hockey for a year. Like he was out the whole season and then he just steps in and it's like two goals there, two assists here, like and a three point night. Like he's ridiculous. Nikita Kucherov is so good. So I'd go Kucherov, Barzal, Price, Flurry. Okay, that's fair. Uh, where can people find your stuff, Jesse? Theathletic.com. We have specials like always, uh, man. It's been a lot of fun covering these playoffs. I get to interact more with my colleagues. Um, That's, to me, the the best part about The Athletic is the fact that we have so many good writers covering the teams. We have three guys in Montreal for this series. Uh, As mentioned, we won't be traveling. I won't be traveling because of the border restrictions, but they will have us covered up there. There are all three of them. We we are going to be collaborating on a lot for this series. Um, I'm pretty excited about the stuff we've got uh, in the works. All right. You can find me Monday through Friday on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas with Darren Millard and Chris Chapman, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Also, that show is podcast anywhere you get podcasts. So if you can't be with us live, you can always catch the replay. Uh, You'll also find me for at least another four to seven games on the pregame intermission and postgame show, also on Fox Sports Las Vegas, where, uh, you know, I give my night to shine and Jesse gets one right and all of a sudden he thinks he's Nostradamus like it's totally fine it is what it is that's the beauty Um, I ignore the last 16 that I got wrong and just focus (laughs) on the one that I got right all right we're gonna get out of here hopefully you guys like this podcast if you like the podcast like the fucking podcast okay I'm gonna say that again if you like the podcast like the fucking podcast give us a five-star review really that helps us out immensely anywhere you get podcasts this is where you can find us we'll be back with you sometime soon in the future. Enjoy round three.